The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Iowa, it's been a long time since they beat a top five. They want to run one more play, try to get it in the middle of the field, use their last time out, and try to kick to win. Two tight ends. They'll want Sean Green to just put both arms around this thing. There he is. He actually took it to the right hash, a pickup of about three, six seconds remaining. Remember the interception by Tyler Sash off of Daryl Clark led to this long drive. Time consuming. Down to the final six ticks. And now it all lands on the right leg of number one. Daniel Murray, one of seven players on this roster from this town of Iowa City. If he hits this field goal, he can run for mayor. And now Penn State's going to make him think about it a little bit longer. Timeout with a 31-yard field goal attempt coming up. Penn State. Number three in the country, hoping to not only play for the Big Ten title, but the national championship. And those dreams could die right here. Daniel Murray out of the hold of Ryan Donahue from 31 yards away. And you'll know in a moment if this one's good. High snap. Kick is on the way. It is good. Daniel Murray, high snap, Donahue got it down beautifully, and then the euphoria. The penalty marker on the field against Iowa. You know, Ness, from the time stance, he remember the fumble he had way back? From that time on, if you take a look at his stats, he became a different quarterback. He changed himself in this ball game and really did the job. Joe knows one second or not that it's time to start heading to his locker room that will be a sad one because the dream of a national championship is about set to die in one more tick of the clock they've lowered their expectations to a trip to the rose bowl and that ain't so bad that certainly isn't so bad how about that for one hell of a football game? One of the most exciting finishes I've ever witnessed. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from HawkeyesMike.com. The Iowa-Penn State game highlights are courtesy of ABC with Brad Nessler, Bob Greasy, Paul McGuire, and Stacy Dales. An excellent job calling one of the most exciting college football games of the entire season. We very much appreciate it and thank them. <laughs> My kind of team, Charlie. It's my kind of team. Now it's third and 24. Does Norm Parker serve up a blitz here or not? Clark. Down the middle. It's intercepted. Picked off by Sash. Coming the other way. Grace, remember I told you I was down on the field and when they were throwing the ball from right to left, where they're throwing the ball here, the wind grabs it and right. it lifts it up in the air. Watch how far this ball is off target. That thing, he lost it when he threw it. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. 
This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Kirk Ferentz and Joe Tiller. And we'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference, and we'll also preview the Iowa-Purdue game. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Third down and long now for Iowa. Stanzi is going to go deep. He's got a man in the end zone. Touchdown. Darrell Johnson, Koulianos, his fifth catch of the day. This one's good for a touchdown. Extra point is good. A lot of football left. But the gap is narrow thanks to that guy. His fifth catch of the day. And this time he got wide open. And from 27 yards out, Ricky Stanzi pump fakes and says, I'm coming to you. 16-14, Penn State. In a wind-swept and cold Kinnick Stadium, and in front of a nationwide television audience, the Iowa Hawkeyes stormed from behind in the fourth quarter to stun Penn State 24-23, culminating in a Daniel Murray field goal under the lights with just six seconds left in the game. Thousands of Iowa fans rushed the field to celebrate with their Hawks, and players from the previously unbeaten and highly ranked Nittany Lions walked dejectedly off the field. It was both blackout and greenout Saturday at Kinnick Stadium, and one of the most memorable Iowa wins in modern history, and the first win over a top-five ranked team since 1990. It also knocked Penn State, and the Big Ten for that matter, out of any chance for a national title. The fourth period was probably one of the best quarters of Iowa football in several years. Quarterback Rick Stanzi was terrific under pressure, and star running back Sean Green piled up significant rushing yards to go over the 100-yard mark for the 10th consecutive game. Iowa's defense shut down the vaunted Penn State offensive attack and put the dagger in the Lions' heart when safety Tyler Sash picked off a Nittany Lion pass in the closing minutes to set up Iowa's 15-play game-winning drive. Stanzi finished 15 for 25 and 171 yards with a touchdown and one interception, and all but 22 of those yards came in the second half. Green finished with 117 yards on 28 carries and two touchdowns against one of the nation's best defenses. And Darrell Johnson Koulianos and Brandon Myers made huge clutch receptions to keep the final drive alive. Iowa finished with a great third down conversion rate, with several of those coming in the last possession. DJK also had a third quarter touchdown reception, which was only the fifth allowed by Penn State's defense so far in 2008. Murray's kick now stands in Iowa football history alongside Rob Houtland's to beat Michigan in 1995. It also ended a string of losses in close games. In fact, Iowa had lost nine straight games by three points or less before Saturday's victory. This was also Iowa's first 2008 win against a team with a winning record. What makes this even more impressive is the fact that this was Murray's first field goal attempt since the Pitt game and his first made three-pointer since the opening game of the season. Defensively, Iowa struggled in the first half, allowing Penn State to completely dominate, 
although most significantly, they held the point total down and gave themselves a chance in the second half. After halftime, the Hawks did not allow Penn State to make a single third down conversion when the Nittany Lions went 0 for 5. And while the Hawks had no sacks on the day, they had seven tackles for loss and seven quarterback hurries. In fact, Iowa scored the only points in the fourth quarter. At the end of the day, the Hawks allowed Penn State 23 points and less than 300 yards for a team that was averaging over 40 points and 460 yards a game. The Iowa defense has also only allowed one opposing rusher to gain over 100 yards in a game this season. Without a doubt, this was one of the biggest wins in Iowa football history, let alone the Ferentz era. And considering everything, one of the two or three biggest upsets in school history. Tyler Sash was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week following this game. He had eight tackles and the crucial fourth-quarter interception that set up Iowa's game-winning drive. This was Iowa's 17th interception of the season and only their third interception thrown by the Nittany Lions this year. Sean Green has also been named a semifinalist for the prestigious Doak Walker Award given annually to the nation's top running back. Green currently ranks second in the Big Ten and third nationally in rushing. He's 12th on Iowa's all-time rushing list and third for season rushing. Green is also a candidate for the Maxwell Award as college football's top player. And he became only the second running back to rush for more than 100 yards in a game against Penn State this season. In addition, the Hawks came away from the game selected as the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl National Team of the Week. Iowa hosts the Purdue Boilermakers in Kinnick Stadium this Saturday before closing out the regular season at Minnesota. With the win over Penn State, Iowa moved into a four-way tie for fourth place and the Hawks officially became bowl eligible and now have a chance for a significant New Year's Day bowl with two more victories. Great story. Compelling and rich. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefence, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefence.com. Prefence is now the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa men's and women's basketball teams and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. With the win over Penn State, as we said earlier, Iowa became bowl eligible once again. That's the eighth straight season. The Hawks have participated in bowl games six of the previous seven years. They were left out of that mix last year after losing their season ender to Western Michigan. Iowa won the toss and elected to defer. That's a rare occurrence for Kirk Ferentz. This is only the second game this season the Hawkeyes have started on defense. Penn State failed to score in its opening possession. In fact, all 10 opponents now this year of Iowa have failed to score in their opening drives. Iowa, on the other hand, did score on its first possession. The Hawks have now scored on opening possessions in five of the 10 games. The first half was complete domination by Penn State, at least statistically. The Nittany Lions totaled 203 yards on 47 offensive plays, while Iowa totaled only 70 yards on 15 plays. The Nittany Lions maintained possession for over 23 minutes, compared to about six and a half for the Hawks in the first two periods. Penn State took advantage of two Hawkeye turnovers, one fumble and one interception. They scored 10 points off of those. Iowa also collected two turnovers, a fumble, and then that big interception by Sash in the fourth quarter. 
Key statistics, looking at first downs, Penn State had 24 to Iowa's 19. Net yards rushing, 180 for the Nittany Lions, 101 for the Hawks. Net yards passing, 171 for Iowa to 109 for the Nittany Lions. Total offensive yards, very close here, 289 for Penn State, 272 for the Hawks. Total offensive plays, this dominated by Penn State primarily in the first half, 70 to 57. Possession time was also heavily in Penn State's favor. Nearly 36 minutes for the Nittany Lions compared to 24 for the Hawks. Third down conversions, Iowa excelled in this game going 7 of 10. Penn State was 6 of 14. And in red zone scoring chances, the Nittany Lions were 5 of 5 and the Hawks were 3 of 3. First down, Iowa. Red zone has been a problem for them this year. They're in there already. Green behind his blockers. 10-5. Forget touchdown. Sean Green just got on Brent Morse, his fullback's butt, and said, I'm following you. Get out of my way. And I say Sean Green needs to get 100 <laughs> yards again for the 10th time in a row. Well, he's, he's on his way. Oh, is he ever? 14-yard touchdown. Two plays and 25 yards in just 35 seconds of possession. Iowa leads Penn State 7-0. His 12th rushing touchdown of the year. Time now to hear from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz. He talks about the Purdue game. You know, we're playing a team, Purdue, that uh, comes in with a, uh, a record that's probably uh, less than what they would have hoped for at this point, uh, but a team that we've got great respect for, and it starts with their uh, coaching staff. Uh, you know, we've been competing against them now for uh, the past nine years, and uh, I don't know if anybody's uh, done a better job in the Big Ten than, than Joe Tiller, uh, an outstanding football coach, and has just really uh, impacted that program in a very uh, dramatic, positive fashion, and uh, a big part of that is the staff that he's got. Uh, he's got tremendous coaching staff, and they've done a great job year in and year out. So, uh, this is a team that's had great success. You know, they've had some dis- disappointment this year, but you, know, you just look back two weeks ago, they had 48 points against Michigan, and uh, very explosive that way. And uh, you go back uh, defensively, looking at the Ohio State, Penn State games, uh, how they played defensively against the two best uh, teams in the conference, or two of the better uh, teams in the conference, and. Uh, then you go back to last week as well. They gave up two touchdowns against Michigan State. If you want to talk about the three top teams, you know, two offensive touchdowns to Michigan State. So you know, they're a team that competes extremely hard. Uh, they've got talent, great system, and you know it'll be, it'll be a great challenge for our team on uh, on Saturday. Ferentz was asked whether the big win over Penn State takes the pressure off the Hawks for the next couple of weeks. I mean, to me, I don't know what pressure was on us, but um, we have six wins. We had six wins last year, and we were all sitting around the fireplace for Christmas uh, with chestnuts and all that stuff roasting, you know, music playing. So uh, I'm not a big fan of eggnog. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe we can you know, do a little better. But, you know, we're going to have to earn it. It's going to be tough. Kirk talks about Ricky Stanzi's poise on the last drive of the Penn State game. You know, really good to see, especially in light of, you know, our first three possessions in the first uh, second half, excuse me. That's encouraging, certainly. And, uh, you know, he made some big, big plays for us uh, in that last drive. Did a nice job keeping his composure and doing a lot of good things out there. And, uh, you know, he's a young player. So hopefully that's something good in the bank. And, uh, you know, we've gone through some tough times, too, with him and had a couple in that uh, situations in that ball game, a couple the week before. You know, that's that's what that's growing and if he's learning from those things then uh, you know he really gives himself a chance to, to go on and uh, you know do some good things during his career and that's what we're hoping to see. Ferentz talks about his seniors and especially 
Mitch King and Matt Kroll. First of all, the whole senior class, and as you know, it's not a big class A and then B. I, th- I think uh, I think I'm correct in saying seven seniors started the ball game the other night, so it's it's not a, a, a huge number. But the, the entire class has just done a great job. You know, you, you start at the top with King and Kroll. Those guys are four-year players. That that's really rare, and especially being linemen, that that's, makes it even more exceptional. And uh, the, the highest compliment I, c- I can uh, give both those guys, I think, if I pointed to one thing. Uh, be their performance last spring. You, know, you have two guys who are three-year starters, clearly established, and uh, it was a competitive spring. But they they practiced like uh, like they were on second team trying to earn a job. You know, both of them did. And, and when you have two guys like that that are, are playing at a high level, practicing like they did, and doing the things they do away from the field, you know, it really makes it easier for everybody else to follow follow suit. And uh, uh, th- those are the things. You know, you're gonna miss a lot of good production on the field when they graduate, but. Uh, those uh, other things that they bring uh, to the table, those are the things that you really appreciate as a coach. I appreciate their production on the field too, but uh, you know, those other things just, they're both great guys. I mean, they're just great people, excellent students. You know, Mitch has a nice hairdo, you know, I mean, what else can you say? Ference was asked how much of a challenge it will be to get Iowa focused on the Purdue game coming off of such a huge win last Saturday against the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I think the first thing, uh, first part of that is it starts with knowing who we are. You know, we're hardly, uh, I don't think anybody's talked about us in the national championship picture recently. So, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just a team that has to play hard and work hard and, and uh, prepare hard. And if, if we, you know, stay true to what, who we are and what we are and uh, realize that maybe that's uh, given us a chance to compete a little bit, I think we'll be fine. But uh, every, every game, I said this uh, however many weeks ago, six, eight weeks ago, I anticipate every game on our schedule to be tough. Thought every team, team or game would be winnable. Also thought every game was an opportunity to lose a game too. So uh, that, that's that's a pretty good position to be in, and now it's in our hands to you know to see what we can bring uh, bring to the table on Saturday, and that's our job between now and then. And I hope our team realizes that we're, we're getting good leadership. I think they understand that concept. And Ferentz talks about Iowa's success in the red zone last Saturday. A week ago, we were talking about our disappointments in the red zone, and we were talking about our uh, uh, poor 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 job on third down, you know, our lack of conversions third down, and. Uh, you know, it flipped around this time, so we were able to, you know, score more touchdowns and get field goals. And, you know, our third down conversion, I think, was 70%. I know it was 70%. So, you know, that, that gives you a chance to win, sustain drives and those types of things. And, you know, winning teams uh, typically do that a little better than, than losing teams. And, you know, we, we've been all over the place now. So the challenge for us is to, you know, I don't expect us to be at 70% on third down this uh, this week or any week. but. Uh, I wouldn't mind it, and uh, you know, if we can keep leaning towards that direction, that'd be a, that would help us a great deal. Next up, head coach Joe Tiller of Purdue. Tiller talks about losing to Michigan State and preparing for Iowa. Well, uh, obviously, we went uh, into East Lansing last week and uh, weren't able to come away with uh, a win. We played a very uh, good Michigan State team. Uh, their record speaks for itself. We also played them, I think, uh, at, a, at an emotional high for them. I, I never like playing against the team on senior day, but of course it's your last home game. It's always going to be senior day. We'll do it once again this week in Iowa City. The Spartans were playing for an awful lot, had an awful lot on, on the table, and I think particularly defensively uh, they may have played against us as well as they played against anyone all year long. Hats off to them. They played a, played a great game. As I said, now we go to Iowa City and play uh, what we expect to be an emotionally charged uh, Hawkeye football team What with a great win last week over Penn State. Why, uh, it'll be a great challenge. 
Tiller was asked for his assessment of the Hawkeyes after their big win over Penn State. Well, I think that uh, offensively, uh, you know, they found a rhythm. And obviously, uh, you know, the running back green is in, in uh, great form right now. And I think uh, Stansy, their quarterback, is managing the game extremely well. So I think they've got an improved play there. And then defensively, uh, you know, I think they're back to playing Iowa-style defense. Uh, I know evaluating them this week, uh, we felt like the Iowa team we saw last year certainly isn't the same Iowa team that we're seeing this year defensively because uh, they're playing a very, very physical style of football right now, which has really been, uh, you know, their, their team identity over the past decade. Tiller talks about Iowa's defense and the penetration of the D-line. I think that, like I said, they're playing very physical style of uh, play. They're they're confident in what they're doing, and uh, you know they've reached uh, midseason form. Of course, maybe not. Uh, well, they did it just about in the middle of the season. I think they started playing a lot better then, and uh, they they just have improved each week out. Tiller gives an update on the status of starting quarterback Curtis Painter. Yes, he is better. Uh, as a matter of fact, he came to me yesterday to tell me that uh, he went outside with one. We don't, you know, we don't practice on Mondays, so uh, he had to obviously do something on his own if he was going to do it. And he said he went out with one of the receivers and threw about 50 balls or so, and uh, you know, has a little bit of pain, but not much. And uh, you know, it's the most optimistic he's been since uh, since the shoulder was separated. So uh, hopefully, we'll we'll finally get him back this week. Tiller was asked that if Painter is healthy, will he start? I think we would uh, still start Justin Siller, but uh, you know we might, uh, you know we might actually go with uh, Curtis Painter along with Siller, from, almost from series to series, if you will, to maybe change the look, but uh, you know that the defense is getting. Tiller talks about the play of his star linebacker Anthony Haygood. Well, I think basically for uh, Anthony Haygood here at Purdue, is a, it's been a matter of experience. You know, he's a guy that was recruited as a running back here at Purdue and uh, really didn't make the switch to uh, linebacker until a year ago. So this is just his second year at uh, linebacker play. And, of course, uh, each week that goes by, he seems to be getting better and better. And I think it can be attributed to the fact that, uh, you know, the experience is, is finally starting to help him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's handled it well and he just sees things so much quicker than he used to, and uh, he's turned into a really good football player. Since this is Tiller's last year as head coach at Purdue, he was asked to think ahead and whether a good foundation has been laid for significant improvement. You know, I think there are some very talented young players in the program that, uh, you know, can step up and contribute. I think the biggest thing for us, quite frankly, offensively is to is to get back to being healthy. You know, we've, we basically uh, have been a, a a, ma- a merry-go-round uh, approach to our offensive line. I think that uh, we've started seven different starting combinations, uh, and it's not likely to change. And uh, uh, we lost our tight starting tight end, and you know it's just uh, it's been a, a real mix there. And I think uh, because most of those players are going to be back next year. <clears throat> matter of fact, all of them but one will be back next year, and uh, they just need to they need to get healthy. They need to, you know, and Jason Taylor, our, our running back that we lost uh, the week before the start of the season, uh, you know, he needs to get healthy again. So our team just needs to to have a little good luck come their way for a change and 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 uh, and get healthy, and I think they'll be fine. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. 
to make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. This week, Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Well, this is one of the biggest victories for the Hawks in the past 20 years or so. Yeah, since 1990, first time they've beaten the top five ranked teams. So, obviously, uh, a huge win, a great atmosphere Saturday, and uh, uh, one for the ages, that's for sure. Does the Penn State upset define this team, or will that depend on what Iowa does the next two games, or do you think it's a little bit of both? You know, I think it's uh, it's definitely something they can, you know, be proud of. But I think the identity of this team has truly been a journeyman, a workmanlike team. And I think they've they've worked hard from the off season on, and, and I think you're starting to see the benefits of that. The last uh, you know few weeks, they've had a few setbacks in there, but uh, but you know they've been able to play competitive each and every week. You know, and as a football player, that's all you can ever ask for is is a chance to win games, and they've had those chances, and obviously. They've missed on a few, but then you know they're able to capitalize on this one and get a big victory, obviously. What does a win like this do for a team's psyche, especially a team with all these close losses? Well, I mean, I think it just it tells them what stage they can play at. It st- tells them the level that they can, they can be playing at. And so every time they step on a football field, they should know that we can compete with every team that we play against. And, and so from that standpoint, it's, it should be a great confidence boost for the younger players, as well as a great uh, motivational factor for the older players. So. You know, I mean, the, the thing is, is, is now this is the time when you have to be smart and you have to realize why did we, why were we able to play so well against Penn State? Because we prepared, you know, we did our things each and every day through the week and they got to make sure that after Saturday night's victory, it was enjoy it for that tw- 10 hours, but then Sunday when you come back to the regular work week, you're back to work and you're getting ready for Purdue. Uh, and hopefully they can maintain that focus and stay Uh, stay true to their principles in in the way they've been working all season long. Well, the fourth quarter had to be one of the most solid performances by a Hawkeye offense in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, they they executed extremely well when they had to. You know, I thought the the ability to to change up the play calling and and to throw some passes in there at times when I thought, well, it's a pretty gutsy pass. But but just by being able to do that, it sets the defense on their heels a little bit and you're able to pick up an extra 10, 15 yards at times. and um, but yeah, I mean they were solid all the way through. The defense did what they had to do to keep them in the game. But I thought offensively, you're right. To go from the first half when we probably had 13 snaps, I think, and six and a half minutes time of possession, to being able to really be efficient in the second half and take advantage of their opportunities was very, very impressive. Can you talk a little bit about Rick Stanzi's play? Yeah, you know, I mean, he's just he's settling in. He's managing the offense, doing the things he needs to do. And you know, it's it was fun for me to watch because. There was a couple of times when I really felt like he, he needed to make some plays and he went down to Myers on the tight end. I think the tight end caught three straight passes and, and got two first downs out of it. So, you know, I really felt like that was a plus for Iowa at a time when they really needed to, to move the chains and get some field position. And he did a good job of doing that. And then he also did a nice job with the boots and throwing the comebacks on the outside. So those are great things. You know, obviously uh, you know, a few mistakes with the fumbled snaps and, and the, the, you know, but, but we were good enough to overcome those. Those are great. Sean Green just continues to make big runs and pile up the statistics. Selfishly, you wanted to see him get the 100, but obviously the win is very, very, was way more important. But, uh, you know, but, but his 113 or 115 yards were critical, you know, to the team, this, the team's success and the team offense. And so, 
you know, it was great to see him get the two touchdowns and, 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 and just good solid running in between the tackles, hitting outside when he has to. And, and uh, that, that's just, you know, we, we've seen over the first, you know, two months, two and a half months is this offense revolves around Sean Green. And when and Sean Green's running well, it helps set up everything else. So, so it's obviously great to see him getting on track. And obviously Penn State was watching him. So for him to be able to get 100 yards is pretty impressive. After watching Penn State completely dominate the first half, yet not rack up that many points, did you think Iowa had a realistic chance? Yeah, very much so. I mean, as long as the, I felt like as long as the defense could keep it close, uh, and then the offense could make a couple plays, or the offense or special teams could make a couple plays, and and that's exactly what the defense was able to do. I mean, it is impressive. You think the time of possession, the number of snaps they had against our defense, and it's still only a six-point game at halftime. It was, it was incredible. So, uh, you know. Penn State's offense is a, is a high-definition offense, they call it. It's the, the version of the spread, and, and I've always said that in the Big Ten, at some point you got to line up and impose your will on people because of the, the, the elements, 25-mile-an-hour gusts, you know, wind swirling down there, cold and sloppy. You know, that, that kind of offense can get bogged down in that kind of weather, and it, it was, you know, uh, you know, to Iowa's credit, you know, they did enough to stop it. I mean, Penn State controlled the ball, did some good things in the first half, but Iowa did enough to stop them. Well, I thought in many ways that this was the best defensive performance this year, especially considering the explosive nature of Penn State's offense, as you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. How would you describe their scheme and what they were trying to do offensively? Offensively for Penn State? Yeah. I mean, I, it, they're getting the ball to their athletes, you know, and that number two was incredible. I mean, you know, put him in the wildcat formation, direct snap to him. He could throw, too. He's a high school quarterback and, and running back, and, and uh, you know, he made some good throws. and. And then they put him in the slot and, and throw the ball to him, or you know they just snap it to him and, and hand it off to him. So, I mean, he was an incredible athlete. The tight end was solid. Quarterback's obviously really good. So, I mean, they're just trying to get the ball into the athlete's hands, and they were able to do that for the most part. With the, I thought the first 45 snaps for Penn State were extremely well scripted. I mean, they I don't think they ran the same play twice. They were running the pop screen, the jet screen, you know, the jet sweep, uh, you know, quick traps, uh, you know, little quick hitters and. I mean, just zone and zone follows. I mean, they just did a nice job with their play selection, but Iowa just did a nice job of hanging in there, keeping the ball in front of them, wrapping up, and um, you know, just hanging in there. And then the second half, they kind of figured some of those things out and were able to clamp down on them. Let's focus on the winning field goal by Dan Murray. It certainly ranks up there with Rob Holland's kick against Michigan. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was ironic that I was actually with the author of the, that book that wrote the 50, 50 Greatest Plays in Iowa History uh, Saturday morning at a, a TV show, and uh, one of the guys I was with, Dan Dickel, who's a former Iowa player, we're talking about his best 50, or, and, and Dan Dickel, to his credit, said, this is one of those days when you may see another one, you know, I mean, this is the type of, of platform and atmosphere where you may see another top 50 play, and obviously, uh, yeah, I mean, beating the number three ranked team, uh, chance, the team that's got a chance to go on and play for national championship, uh, was obviously a huge thrill. Obviously, it's, uh, from my standpoint, to have an Iowa City Regina alumni that was coached by Chuck Evans uh, before I got there, kick it through the post was uh, a great, great thrill for all of us involved in Iowa City Regina. Well, you've been in the same situation. A play called at the end of the game, executed perfectly for the big upset. In your case, it was the horseshoe to beat Ohio State. What goes through your mind once you know it's on you, during the play, and then afterwards? You know, uh, We've we we've got a shirt that's it says uh, uh, commitment to perfection, excellence, and it's a thousand times at home by yourself, hundred times in practice, one time to win the game. You know and that's what it is. I mean, it's it, that's what football is, in my opinion. Is it's about doing the same thing over and over again. It's it's creating the habits and disciplines that it takes to be successful, and and that's that's something that he's done every single day, in the last 
eight years of his life. He's worked on that moment, you know, and so it's just a matter of going out and kicking it. And and uh, to his credit, he, that's exactly what he did. I mean, the interesting thing is, is you know, Mossbrucker's been the kicker for the last five or six weeks, and, and Murray hadn't tr attempted a field goal, and yet they make that decision. Obviously, it was a good one. It was the right decision at the time, and, you know, those are the the interesting sidebars to that whole event is, is that, you know, a unique change there right, right at the end to pick Daniel Murray to kick it through the post. When you think back on your play in that game, can you still more or less relive every second or does it become a blur? I, I, can, I can remember moments. I can remember the plane ride home, parts of the plane ride home. I can remember sitting in the locker room, uh, having a discussion with my position coach. I can remember certain aspects of the huddle. Uh, but you know, but it's starting to break up other than seeing the highlight, you know, and, and on TV and stuff like that That's how you kind of starting to visualize it, but but to me that's Iowa football I mean it truly is a culmination of all the offseason all the teammates hard work uh, the camaraderie of, of you know the 11 guys on the field and, and then just trying to find a way to make a win for the Hawks and, and so Those are the great parts of what I remember about the whole the whole concept of the Ohio State game well, now the Hawks have positioned themselves for a very good bowl game. If they can finish the job in the last two games, how does a team get over the euphoria from a win like this and get back to business to prepare for their next game? Uh, I got you know two two things: Mitch King and uh, Matt Kroll. I mean, the, the the leadership, the senior leadership that you're going to see is what's going to help focus this team and 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 you know that type of discipline that realizes. You know, we've got a chance now to be to, to go back and make this a very, very successful season and uh, do a lot of things that people said we probably couldn't do. And and so it's the focus of realizing that, like I, said, I mean, it's beating a dead horse, but the Monday's got to be the same as it was six Mondays ago, five Mondays ago, four Mondays ago. Just get back to work, get back to focus and focusing on Purdue because, you know, the Penn State game is as great as that is. If, you know, we're, we're three points less, they're a five and five team. Everybody's disappointed. You know, they're three points more, and they're a six and four team. And everybody's ecstatic. You know, and everybody's talking about how great they are. So I mean, it's it's a fine line between greatness and mediocrity, and and the greatness that was achieved on Saturday rolls right back to mediocrity or disappointment if they lay an egg against Purdue. And that's the hard truth of, of the way this game is and the roller coaster, emotional roller coaster and excitement that goes on with college football. That's what it is. I mean, that's what lays ahead of them. If they go and lay an egg against Purdue this Saturday, it's back to being a disappointing season. So that's the focus that these guys have, and that's why I think the senior leaderships are the guys. The guys are going to step up and make sure that that doesn't happen, that they refocus, they get back on task at hand, and that's getting ready for Purdue. Well, Purdue comes in on Saturday. They've had a very tough year. Tiller's last year's head coach. They've shown they can be a tough team. What do you expect to see in this game, and what are your keys to the game? Well, I mean, it's it's going to come down to our defense. I mean, I, you know, the Purdue's offense can be a difficult offense to defend. I mean, they've, they've got some weapons. They've got some uh, schemes that can cause problems to people. I don't think they're as effective running the ball as they used to be. Um, you know, and Iowa's going to have to try to make them one-dimensional where they have to throw it all the time. And, you know, if they do that, like I said, I think we're I think we're better than we have been in the back end for a long time with our secondary and our linebackers and pass coverage. So I think we've got a very very effective chance uh, to be real solid against Purdue's offense. And then offensively, they just got to continue to make plays. They got to continue to do the things that are going to help them be successful. Get Myers and and uh, the tight ends involved in the passing game. Uh, you know, make the throws when they need to make them. You know, third down conversions. You brought up a great point last week. 
they, they haven't been very good in third down conversions. And you know, if you want to be a great team, you got to be solid in that area. Yeah, that keeps drives alive. It changes field position. It does so many things for your team, and you've got to be effective in the third down. So I'm looking to see are they getting in third and manageable situations, third and short, third and medium, and then executing, getting the right play called, and then making the first down. If they can do that, control the ball. Uh, when Purdue does get the ball, make sure it's a long field, then I think they got a very, very ch good chance to be successful Saturday. Yesterday in the paper, Pat Anger talked a little bit about how the defense was bringing more pressure than they have all season, a lot more blitzes, different types of them. Any thoughts there? You think we'll see more of that? Yeah, I mean, I think you mix it up. I mean, Purdue's a team you got to be a little bit more careful with because they, you know, that's how people try to attack that, that type of offense. And so they're used to seeing corner blitzes, secondary blitzes, you know, zone blitzes. And, and they're probably a little bit better picking them up and, and attacking back a defense than Penn State was. So, I mean, you got to be a little bit careful with that. But I did like it. Like I said, I saw some corner blitzes Saturday. Uh, that are very, very effective and, and cause problems. But, you know, when you blitz, now you're putting your secondary, you're putting your back end in, in a little bit more of a, a susceptible position. So if you're going to blitz, you've got to get to the quarterback in about 2.8 seconds. Otherwise, you've got problems. If the quarterback knows where to go with the ball, uh, and the good quarterbacks do and the good systems do. So it's, it's a chess match this Saturday because Purdue's a lot better at picking that stuff up than most other teams. All right. Any other thoughts? No, I mean, just like I said, I mean, obviously, for those who were at the game Saturday, it was one of the top four or five games in Kinnick Stadium history, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, to see the, the, the green shirts storm the field at the end of the game, and uh, it was just, it was an amazing, amazing atmosphere. I'm glad I was able to share that with my son. It was, uh, you know, obviously one of his great highlights of his young life, so it was a great experience for us to be there. Iowa's got it at the Penn State six-yard line. First and goal, Sean Green, again, to the right side. Did he get there? Touchdown! Sean Green has just scored from six yards out to put Iowa within three with the extra point pending. The Hawkeyes trying to pull an upset of the third-ranked team in the country, and they're within striking distance now. He went over 100 yards with that carry. Two rushing touchdowns on the day. He's been the Iowa offense all year. And for the 13th time this season, he's found the end zone on the ground, and it couldn't have come at a better time or in a bigger moment. Here comes Sean Green. Don't go anywhere. We got a ball game going on in Iowa City. You want some more of that? I didn't think so! Taking a look at the Big Ten Conference with Iowa's upset win over previously unbeaten Penn State, the Big Ten now has a three-way tie for first place. Along with the Nittany Lions, Michigan State and Ohio State are also in first, although the Spartans are already 6-1, while Penn State and the Buckeyes are 5-1. Ohio State is still holding out hope for a fourth straight conference title. MSU is off this weekend, the Nittany Lions host Indiana, and the Buckeyes are at Illinois. Michigan State then travels to Penn State next weekend, while Ohio State will host its traditional season ender against Michigan. This will clearly come down to the last games a week from Saturday. Big Ten teams gained three more road victories this past weekend, which means conference teams are now 17-17 and 17 away from home. If this holds, it will be the first time since 1999 that Big Ten teams will finish 500 or better on the road. 
Iowa's win made the Hawkeyes bowl eligible, and that makes them the sixth bowl eligible team from the conference, with the distinct possibility that both Wisconsin and Illinois may also join that group by each winning one of their last two games. The bowl selection process really won't shake out for the Big Ten until we know whether one or two teams will be invited to BCS bowls. Key games this weekend include the heated border state rivalry between Minnesota and Wisconsin for the Paul Bunyan Axe and the second oldest trophy game in the conference between Illinois and Ohio State for the Illibuck. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a wooden replica of a live turtle that was passed back and forth between those two teams until the turtle died in 1927. Now that's some real trivia for those of us who are neither Ohio State nor Illinois fans. Interesting Big Ten stats going into this Saturday's game. Iowa is sixth in total offense, third in scoring offense, third in rushing, and eighth in passing. Defensively, the Hawks are third in total defense, scoring defense, and rushing defense, and fourth against the pass. Purdue is tenth in total and rushing defense, ninth in scoring defense, and sixth against the pass. The Boilermakers' offense ranks seventh. They are tenth in rushing, eleventh in scoring, and third in passing. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. This week again, Sean Patchett visits with Pat. Well, this is one of the biggest wins for Iowa in the Kirk Ferentz era. Oh, I would. De- oh, definitely. I'd say it's probably the outside. You could compare it with the Michigan game in 2002. I think also with the Michigan game in 2003, and then of course the Capital One Bowl. I would put those. I would put those all in the Florida game. I think those are the four biggest victories as far as beating nationally ranked prestigious teams and what have you, but the circumstances to me in this game, even more so than the Capital One Bowl, were even greater because Iowa was such an underdog, playing at home, last second field goal, just the the circumstances were, I mean, it was very similar to the Capital One Bowl in that respect, but that Iowa team was a lot better. Nobody expected this Iowa team to win. You've seen a lot of Iowa games over the years. Where do you rank this win and how critical was it for this particular team? Oh, it's very critical for this team. I mean, in a lot of ways, it redefined the season. Now they have a chance to go to the Outback Bowl. As far as for me, it's like I said, it's right up there near the top, one of the top three or four with a Capital One. I wasn't at the Michigan game in 85, but it's definitely one of the top three or four in the Kirk Ferentz regime, and it's definitely probably one of the top, easily one of the top ten of all the times I've been watching Iowa football going back nearly 35, 40 years. So it's definitely top five. The fact that I was there makes it different. I mean, it's not as big as the game in 85 because that was one versus two. And Iowa won that game and what have you. And that team also went on to win the Big Ten. This game will lose a little bit of its luster if Iowa loses to Purdue this Saturday. So this season still has to kind of keep defining itself. But yeah, no, it's definitely one of the top ones of all time. Do you think this was a case where the coaches challenged these kids or whether the players decided they're going to rise to the occasion? I think it's a little of both, but probably more of the latter. I think the coaches can challenge all they want, but at some point it has to become the par- the players' responsibility to get themselves ready. They're the ones out there taking the hits and making the hits. I, I'd like to give the players more credit in that regard, but I think the coaches definitely challenged them. They had them ready to play. What was it like down in the press room after the game, both players and coaches? Oh, it was the, the sense of relief, a sense of excitement. I think they knew that they had just kind of 
maybe just like I said, redefine their season. They're, they just breathed a bunch of life into their season. Now there's so many possibilities. They had a chance to finish eight and four. They had a chance to win nine games now. They could, if they go to a bowl game, just so many things turned with that one vic victory. Can you talk a little bit about both Sean Green and Rick Stanzi? Sean Green is Mr. Consistency. I mean, he's as good, he never seems to level off. He plays the same way every game. He's as good against bad competition as he is against good competition. To me, he's a consensus first-team All-American running back, barring a letdown in these last two games because, I mean, he's been there and delivered every game for Iowa's barely fumbled this year did a great job of picking up the blitz on a key play in that final drive this past week against Penn State and Rick Stanzi's a, a work in progress but hopefully for his sake that maybe this last game put him over the hump a little bit he still has to learn how to be more careful with the football he still makes too many careless mistakes he still leaves himself open too much in the pocket and what have you but I think you could see him growing a little bit in that fourth quarter he really showed some pocket poise and he really showed the ability to hit receivers in small spaces and what have you and that's to me that was a major growing spurt for him. Well the past two or three weeks we've been talking about the disappearing of DJK aside from his downfield blocking but he definitely showed up for this game. He definitely did and Stanzi got him the ball and DJK I think he just had to wait his turn I think maybe Brodilla and the tight ends are starting to get a little more attention and if that happens somebody's going to be open and he I mean his touchdown catch to me was one of his easier catches of the game I was more impressed with the catches he made during that last drive to set up the game winning field goal he made some key catches on the sideline where he really had to know where the first down markers were and where his feet were and whatever he showed everything and I just this is kind of what I expected from him. I didn't expect seven catches a game, but I think this is what he showed what he's capable of doing. Now, if defenses have to start taking him into account more, then that's going to free things up again for Brodell. Would you say this is the biggest field goal since Hutland against Michigan? Yeah, in some ways, but I mean, I thought Nate Kading's field goal against Texas Tech in the 2001 Alamo Bowl was huge too because that really set that program going. And to me, that kind of ushered them into that incredible 2002 season. I'd maybe get this one a slight edge just because Texas Tech wasn't nearly high as ranked as Penn State and what have you. So yeah, but I think that 2001 field goal though had some, a, a huge effect on the rise of this program. Do you really think that the Murray game-winning kick sets up a renewed competition between him and Mossbrucker, even with Trent still as the number one. Oh, no, it definitely does, because Kirk said today that they don't know who would kick right now. They're going to have to kind of wait and play it out through the week and see who has a better week of practice, and that's kind of what I thought he would say. I just didn't think you could show up on Tuesday and tell Daniel Murray after making a field goal to beat Penn State that he's demoted again. I think they've opened up this competition. They were obviously close to begin with because I don't think Kirk would have went with Murray if there was a considerable distance between the two. So now they're just going to battle it out, and who's ever more consistent this week will probably kick on Saturday. Well, apparently Mossbrucker was really upset when he learned Murray was going in for the last kick. Now, traditionally, kickers are kind of breed of their own. How do you think the coaches will handle him to make sure he hasn't lost any confidence? And a similar question regarding Murray not being number one. Right well, now. I think they're just going to have to take into both account both personalities. I, I'm assuming they're both different kids. They handle situations differently. But at some point, Mossbrucker and Murray have to realize that the coaches are going to put in there who they think gives them the best chance to win. They put Murray in there at the end because they thought he gave them the best chance to win. So it's going to basically come down. I think the kickers will know in practice who's done better. And I don't think the coaches have a favorite. Their favorite is who's ever going to make that field goal when they need it. And I think both kickers just need to realize that they're in a real close competition and that it could change every day. And that the only goal the coaches have is to find who's ever going to put the team in the best position to win. Well, how many times have you seen a team so completely dominate the first half and then essentially be dominated in the second? It seemed like 
complete role reversals for Penn State and Iowa. I mean, I've seen it before, but I guess I just didn't see it in such an important game. I was I was surprised at how inept Penn State's offense was in the second half, especially their play-action passing. I mean, one of the things that really helped Iowa was the fact that Daryl Clark had a terrible game at quarterback. I mean, that was huge for Iowa. And I think Iowa made some adjustments at halftime, whereas Penn State really didn't seem to adjust to what Iowa was doing. And I think Iowa just, I mean, they maybe they were tight a little bit, and Penn State came out just firing and what have you, but I think halftime it was kind of interesting. I think the Iowa players, it just seems like they went in, recommitted themselves and came out and just started to out-physical Penn State. They kind of did to Penn State what Penn State did to them. I think it was pretty two evenly matched teams on that given day, and I think that the Iowa, they just they just rose to the occasion. Uh, where would you rank this defensive performance, even in the first half when the Lions controlled everything, they failed to run up the score, and in the second half it just seemed like the Iowa's defense, uh, they took over? The second half it was very good. I mean, overall I wouldn't rank it as one of the greatest because, I mean, Penn State had over 200 yards offense in the first half. I mean, they were running up and down the field. It's just they couldn't convert in the red zone. But, I mean, the defense really buckled down in the second half when it had to. They did a lot of the – they even avoided that bend-don't-break. They just they, – they shut them down. They just became more physical. They stopped the running game. And like I said, Daryl Clark had a bad game, but it was easier for him to have a bad game because there was no running game. And in the second half, he was kind of on his own. I mean, I wouldn't say it was one of the greatest defensive efforts I've seen, but it was good enough to win a huge game. Well, before we focus on Purdue, uh, I know that reporters are supposed to be neutral and unbiased, but the electricity at Kinnick late in the fourth quarter was palpable. Does that seep into the press box at all? What was it like up there during the last few minutes? Oh, it was exciting. I mean, it's always more exciting to cover teams that are having success. I mean, it's no fun covering teams that lose huge games. And, and this year, we've gotten to the point where we're running out of things to write about for these close game scenarios. We've just had that angle so many times presented to us to where it's getting hard to come up with new things. But it's always more fun to see the teams you cover win. It's more fun. The guys are better quotes when they win. And, and what have you. Yeah, there was a, a sense of excitement. Iowa football was relevant again. I mean, you had the feeling in that press box knowing that a lot of people around the nation were watching that game and you were right there. Kirk talked a little bit about it in his press conference. How do you think this team comes back down to earth and prepares for Purdue? This is where I think Kirk's at his best. I mean, I've never seen a guy who can live in the moment better than he does. He will get these guys. I think he will, although, I mean, I got to wonder about that Western Michigan game last year. They weren't ready to play there, but to me, Kirk will get these guys to realize, I mean, it's senior day. It's the last game for the seniors at Kinnick Stadium. There's so many things going on. I think that will help in that regard. They're never going to play there again. And if they lose to Purdue, that Penn State game is a distant memory again. I mean, then they're back to six and five and you know, struggling to get into a mediocre bowl game. There's a lot riding on this, and I think Kirk will get these guys to move forward, but I think the fact that it's senior day and there's so many things riding, I think they can move beyond that game. Well, historically, the Iowa-Purdue series has been a pretty tough one. This Purdue team seems capable of turning in a very good performance on some Saturdays, yet their record doesn't reflect that. What do you expect to see in this game, and what are your keys to the game? Well, the keys are they're going to have to be good on their pass defense, Purdue, and they're going to have to be good with uh, containing the quarterback. Purdue's got a good running quarterback, Justin Seiler, that's in now. That gives them a new dimension. I would be surprised, though, if Iowa doesn't win this game. I, Purdue is not a typical Purdue team. They did score 49 points against Michigan, which is surprising, but I think the fact that it's here, the fact that there's so much riding on this game and the fact that I was so good on both lines of scrimmage I think that will determine the difference but they're gonna have to play well I mean if they come out here and just go through the motions Purdue is good enough on offense to win this game. Do you have any other thoughts? It was just an unbelievable game and like I said it's just amazing what one game can do to change a season. Now they have a chance to go eight and four and go to the Outback Bowl if they can just win out. HawkeyesMike.com just for you the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time www.hawkeyesmike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. 
Just a reminder that following every football game, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. To have your comments included in the next show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcasts should be available for listening or downloading later on Wednesdays. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Today's Hawkeye's Mike program is made possible in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. And by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500. Or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. Looking ahead now to this coming Saturday, Iowa returns to Kinnick Stadium to host the Purdue Boilermakers on Senior Day in an 11 a.m. game televised by the Big Ten Network. The team and fans alike better have recovered from their Penn State celebrations and be ready to face the Boilers, or the great win over the Nittany Lions will be for naught. Iowa is positioned for a New Year's Day bowl game in all likelihood if they can beat Purdue at home and then pick off Minnesota on the road. This will be the 81st game in this series, which Iowa trails 45-32-3. It will be the last game in this rivalry until October of 2011, as Purdue goes off the schedule for the next two years. The Hawks have now won three of their last four games, while Purdue sports an overall record of 3-7 and and 1-5 and in the Big Ten. Several of those losses have come against very good teams in very close games. This is Joe Tiller's 18th season as a head coach, his 12th and last at Purdue. He is 4-6 lifetime against Iowa. The Boilermakers have already been eliminated from bowl consideration, although under Tiller, they have gone to bowls in 10 of the last 11 seasons. This has also been a very tough year for Purdue, which has been riddled by key injuries throughout the season. Their starting quarterback, Curtis Painter, has been somewhat disappointing in his senior season but he's been injured the past two weeks. It's likely that the Hawks will face a tandem of quarterbacks this week. Both Painter and the dual threat Justin Siller are expected to play. The Boilers also have one of the better backs in the conference in Corey Sheets. Purdue's is another version of the spread, and they've given Iowa plenty of troubles the past few years. But the Hawks should be able to run the ball against the Boilermakers and, hopefully, control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. It's another big game for the Hawks, even bigger now, coming on the heels of the victory over Penn State. Hey! Is this heaven? No. 
Iowa. Now the kick will have to come from the 15 because of the penalty. You know that Murray's going to try to squib this and keep it out of Powell and Williams' hands. And he does, and it's a line drive. And now the ball's in the air, and Iowa's got it, and Penn State has been upset by the Hawkeyes. the smallest man can be the biggest hero. Daniel Murray is tonight. What a stunner. Penn State's now 9-1. and one. Iowa is 6-4. and four. And they are one happy group of Hawkeyes. So many close losses. Now a close win. Look at that field. this good at Kinnick Stadium in a long time and they haven't felt that bad on the Penn State side all year that's the way it goes in November in college football final score hope you're not seeing things Iowa 24 Penn State 23 our thanks again to ABC for the terrific game highlights this week once again an excellent job capturing the excitement and electricity at Kinnick and thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.